Uh, we'll be looking at First uh, Peter chapter five, and if you'd pull out your Bibles, please. Uh, I would rather you look at the Bible than at me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, please pull out your Bibles, and uh, in the, the the Bibles in the chairs, it's page nine fifty five. Um, before we read the scripture. I, I asked um, Pastor Brian if um, we could play uh, that song that we just did, I think maybe a new one to many of you. I just learned it, um, Safely Home, or Almost Home. And um, that, that song just so much made me think about this text, or this text made me think of that song. And so uh, we're almost home. This book is about suffering. And what we find here in this chapter is a reminder of, of the eternal destiny, the home that we're heading to. And so maybe even that chorus, we're almost home, almost home. Um, hopefully that will ring in your ears um, as we look at God's word. So, 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> God's word says, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Father God, we, I pray that as I Uh, share and preach your word uh, that you would you would speak through me spiritual means are accomplished uh, only by spiritual methods and there's no strength or thought or human power in in me that is helpful here and so god we ask that your spirit would work mightily through your word and through your spirit and exhort and encourage us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This section of scripture is is really a continuation of last week's sermon and text. 
So I don't know if there's any visitors here, if this is your first time, um, but just on behalf of Light in the Desert, I would want to first say welcome. Uh, this is a, a place that you're welcome to be. We, as believers, would love to invite uh, you in, even if you don't call yourself a Christian, and to hear and to know uh, this God uh, that we have devoted our lives to. And uh, catch you up or everybody else up, Pastor Brian summed up last sermon uh, with the text. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, the last verse, 19, he said, this summed up uh, the sermon, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see, this sermon this morning, like last week's, and really like many of these in 1 Peter, is very much about the topic of suffering. In fact, this entire book of 1 Peter, this letter, is about suffering. Uh, No one raised their hands, but who here in the room is suffering? Who do you know is suffering? When you think of suffering, who comes to mind? As human beings, we are not uh, unaware or um, of suffering. We're very, uh, unfortunately, um, comfortable with and know what suffering feels like. I hope this morning you, you hear and know that the Creator God, God sees all of His creation and every single minute of your life, every worry that you have, Every pain and suffering that you are experiencing, God sees it and he knows it. In fact, God has given us this passage that we'll look at uh, in 1 Peter to tell us that he is a, not only a knowing God, but he is a caring God for his suffering people. Remembering again uh, from last week's sermon on uh, chapter 4, verse 17, uh, chapter 4, 17 of 1 Peter, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? As we now turn to chapter 5, Peter judges or examines the household of God. And this morning, our time will be divided into two sections, uh, considering the household of God. The first one will be considering the leaders of the household. And then the second half that we'll consider everybody else in the household. So in other words, uh, this first section that we'll begin, we'll be talking to the pastors, Pastor Brian, Pastor Jared. And then the second half, we'll be talking about all of the members. And finally, if I do well on time, if any remains, (laughs) we'll consider the final three verses and just how uh, Peter sums up his letter. So to begin, this exhortation to the elders, looking at verse 1. It begins with an exhortation to the elders among you. Elders, pastors, overseers. Uh, These words, these are interchangeable terms um, that your English Bible uses for the office spoken about in 1 Timothy 3. These are the leaders of your church. Uh, Pastor Brian, Elder Brian, (laughs) Overseer Brian. These are interchangeable words that the New Testament uses uh, for his position. Now, another thing that we should note, just as we get started, it doesn't say elder. Like, look at that in verse 1. It doesn't say elder. First Peter says elders. Emphasis on the S. 
God's word is quite consistent and speaks to a group of elders, pastors, and overseers. You see, scripture assumes and expects a group, a plurality of elders in the church. God doesn't want a solo captain, a single pastor. That's not to say that a church with only one elder is not a church or even that, that church is in sin. But it is to say a church with only one pastor is the exception. A church with only one pastor should pray for and pursue a team of elders. And so praise God now with the addition of Pastor Jared here at Laddie in the Desert, you guys have more than one elder. But can I exhort and encourage you guys even more? Light in the desert, you can have more elders. God's flock requires a team of qualified men to shepherd well. Men here in the room, who among you is willing to step up to the mantle and lead as a servant? May God bless light in the desert with many, many more godly elders. And God, if you have a qualified man here this morning in this gathering, would you spur his heart with the power of your spirit and the hearing of your word to step up to the office of elder and this day even begin the conversation with Pastor Brian, with Pastor Jared. God's church needs elders. Who are, who are and where are the men who will step up to this call? Over the next few minutes and verses, God's word uh, addresses the elders. So I'm going to do something a little bit odd, and, but I'm just going to intentionally speak right at <laughs> Pastor Brian, because Pastor Jared's not here, but uh, you can think of, of him as well. But everybody else who's not Brian or Jared, uh, don't go to sleep, <laughs> please, uh, but listen in and take notes, and even sift the lives of your pastors through the scripture today, and pray for your pastors. And after this sermon ends, encourage them and thank them for the ways that they have lived up to God's word. All right, so here we go, focusing on the household of God, starting with the pastors. Pastor Brian and Pastor Jared, in addition to texts like 1 Timothy, Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that list of qualifications for elders, 1 Peter 5 lays out an expectation of what you're supposed to be doing. Let's look again at what you've been called to do. And brother, pastor, as we read, just in your heart of hearts before the Lord, are you on the line of Scripture? Are you doing what God has commanded you to do? Not doing more and not doing less. Are you doing as God requires of you, pastor? 1 Peter 5, verse 1 says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Verse two says, shepherd the flock and exercise oversight. Shepherd, oversee, pastor, lead. Uh, 
This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is your charge. And here in this passage, you're told what this should look like and also what it should not look like. See, there's three specific pairings that we see in those verses. Peter is asking you to consider these things as you shepherd. And in each pair, you have a positive command and you also have a negative of what not to do. The first pair we see is in verse 2. Everybody look at verse 2. Your shepherding and oversight should not be under compulsion, but willingly. There's not a gun to your head to be a pastor. (laughs) But more seriously, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Step down. The bride of Christ is deserving a pastor that wants her. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his church. He didn't do so because somebody forced him. Nobody was twisting Jesus' arm. Jesus is not under compulsion to love and lead his church, but he gave up his life willingly for her. And so for the elders of Light in the Desert, you will have moments of doubt and despair, even sin, but may you always come back to a willingness to shepherd. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. The second pairing we see immediately follows, do not shepherd the flock of God for shameful gain, but eagerly. See, Pastor, God has not called you to shepherd for your own glory. This office is not for you to build up a kingdom for yourself. You should not be doing this because of any financial gain, but eagerly desiring it, irrespective of the pay. There's too many pastors that have built up churches for their own glory and for their own purse. Pastors do not shepherd the flock of God for shameful gain, but they do so eagerly, irrespective of any pay that they might receive. And our third pairing, it falls there in uh, verse three. Look at that in the text. Pastor Brian and Pastor Jared, your leadership and oversight should not be domineering should not be domineering over the souls that the Lord brings here to light in the desert. But you are to be examples to the flock. The members here should do as you say, but they, th- they should also do as you do. Pastor, is your life worth a worthy example to be followed? Is your life a worthy example to be followed? And not just your public life, not just the one that we see on Facebook <laughs> or Instagram or for an hour on Sunday morning? Is your example not just in public, but your example in private? Is that an example worthy to be followed? Another way to think about it, is your public life and your private life? Is the, is the public Brian the same as the private Brian? Is there congruency in that? Or is there one person here and there's another person that's so different? Is the way that you parent, the way that you husband, the way that you work, the things that you do when you're by yourself, is the way that you suffer, is that a life that is worth to be exampled, to be followed? Pastors, do not be domineering, but be godly examples. Don't ask people to to serve and don't serve yourself. Don't demand people to pray unless you're the first one praying. Be a godly example. 
These, these three pairs, uh, these three pairings, commands, they're in light of two things. Uh, first, uh, we see here in the text that they're in light of the relationships with Peter and Jesus. So if you look at verse one, Peter, he says, fellow elder and partaker. Peter is saying to you pastors that you are part of a brotherhood of elders and pastors, one that even Peter is part of. And not only that, it's not just the elders in this brotherhood that you're, this fraternity of, of pastors and shepherds that you're part of, but also Jesus, the chief shepherd, is part of that. You are called to shepherd as you follow the chief shepherd. He is the, the north star. You're to take your cues from him. He has given us the example, even maybe in 1 Peter 5, particularly the example in suffering. Brother Pastor, consider these two in relation to suffering, these two people, Peter and Jesus. Peter says, verse one, that he witnessed Christ's sufferings. And Brother Pastor, if you shepherd like Jesus, you too will suffer. Right now at our home church, at Church on Mill, they're going through uh, the book of Mark. And uh, we just went through the Garden of Gethsemane last week, and this morning there's preaching on um, Peter's denial. And the next week I'm gonna uh, preach at Church on Mill about um, Jesus being um, beaten and before Pilate. And if you remember the scene, there's uh, Pilate will release one of the criminals to the Jews, and it's Barabbas, a known insurrectionist and murderer, and Jesus, the Son of God who has done no wrong. Jesus suffered. If you guys remember the end of each gospel, the ways he was betrayed, the, the ways that people lied about him. Like, Pastor, you will have times that people will say wrong things about you. They will lie about you. Jesus was left alone by himself. There will feel, be times that you will feel abandoned. As we read through the Gospels, Jesus, his own family, his own town rejected him. We will experience rejection. If you think about Peter, Peter himself suffered. History tells us that Peter was martyred in Rome for his faith, for his shepherding. Pastor, you will suffer, but you do so in great company. In your suffering, remember that you are not alone. Thousands of, of pastors this day in God's church continue on in the office as they suffer. And millions before you have suffered in this fraternity of, of pastors and brothers. Remember, Peter suffered. The chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, suffered. You are not alone, but part of a brotherhood of suffering. And second, we remember these commands that you are not just alone, but also remember that the glory that awaits. Look at verse one. You will partake with the fellow elder Peter and all the faithful shepherds. Verse one, the glory that is to be revealed. And the end of that section, verse four, look at that. On that final day, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Like, Pastor, consider those words. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading 
crown of glory. May your suffering be light as you consider the reward of verse 4. May you see your suffering to be momentary as you consider the eternality of verse 4. Pastor Brian and Pastor Jared, remember, you're almost home. Therefore, shepherd the flock here at Light in the Desert as God would have you. Brothers, let's conclude this section by remembering a conversation between the chief shepherd and the author of this letter, Peter. Um, If you've messed up, but you have, may you be restored. And if you feel weak, may you be strengthened. John 21, uh, the very end of the Gospel of John, we have the scene where where Peter and Jesus on the beach, uh, this conversation, often referred to as Peter's reinstatement. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May our God of forgiveness and reconciliation restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, brother, and your shepherding as you fulfill your call as a pastor of God's flock. Light in the desert, as you've listened in on this word to the pastors, hear that the elders are to shepherd the church of God as God has commanded, and they're to do so with the hope of the future glory in mind. I I hope that as you've listened in, you've thought of ways to pray for your pastors, encourage them, perhaps ask them a question on how they could better live this out. But now after these first four verses to the pastors, there's a warning for the congregation so look, look at verse 5, everyone. The first part says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Peter likely has young men in mind as he writes this because young men are often the, the first to buck <laughs> against the leadership. A, a great verse to just circle or to underline in your Bible is Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, It essentially says, uh, Obey and submit to your elders, your leaders, because they are watching over your souls. And it is no advantage of you, for you, to make it hard for them. Have you considered that, Christian? God loves you so much. He has set pastors to watch over your souls. Light in the desert, and particularly young men, 
Be subject to, listen to, give deference to, submit to, obey your elders. And lastly, an application that we get from this is, if you're a Christian and you have not committed yourself to a church, you cannot follow this command. You need pastors. Don't be so prideful that you, can, that you think otherwise. I'm sure all of us know people, and maybe there's people here in this room who think, I, I, I follow Jesus, I follow Christ, but I don't know about his church. I don't know that I need his church. You cannot love Christ but hate his bride. You cannot obey Jesus unless you submit to his ways. We need the church. Don't be so prideful to think otherwise. And pride now leads us into this next section. So as we think about the household of God, first we considered the pastors. Now we'll consider all the members of the church, including the pastors. Looking at the rest of verse 5 and into 6, God's word says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, everyone in the household of God, with humility. Put on humility towards one another. Put away pride. Wear humility. When you picked out your outfit this morning, when you pick out your outfit for the day, do you consider meekness and humility is what you want to put on, what you want people to see? When people see you, do they see humility? When they think of you, do they think of a servant, a helper? Do you put on humility? Do you wear humility? Is your outward appearance one that people think of as humble? See, this is so important, and why? It says it right there, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is a quote from uh, the book of James and, and from Proverbs. Growing up, my pastor would tell me this all the time, Eric, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Eric, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Eric, you do not want God to oppose you. Just think of that idea, the almighty God in opposition to you. But also think, the Almighty God and all of His power can give grace, can give gifts to the humble. And humility starts with the recognition of your place before God. So verse six says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God. That, that phrasing uh, for many um, probably in this room, in the, the original audience, they would have thought of Exodus as a continually the mighty hand of God moved. As Israel suffered and, rem- and remembered how the mighty hand of God rescued them out of exile. You see, Israel cried out and God heard their cries. For us today, if you are suffering and you're crying out to God and if you wonder if God sees the pain and the the slavery, the, the Egypt that is over you, and you just wonder, does God hear? Does God see? First Peter says, he does. God hears your cries. 
What we need here on, on this earth is not better ideas or to work harder or positive thinking or healthier bodies or stronger wills. What we need is a savior. We need an intercessor. We need a mighty hand of God to come and save us. Like Israel in slavery, we need to humbly cry out to the God who saves. Your efforts will not overcome the problems you face in your own Egypt. You need rescuing. And it begins with humbly recognizing your place under the mighty hand of God. There are three imperatives that flow from this humbling, and each action we're called to is, is paired, similar to the, the conversation with the pastors, it's paired with a reason why. So as we look through verse 7 to 9, let's look at these three imperatives and, and the reasons for them. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, part of humbling yourself is to recognize when you, when you need help and asking for it. Verse 5 says, clothe yourself with humility. Put humility on. And now here in verse 7, the Christian is commanded to cast off your anxieties. Like we put on and they're casting off. You see, these are really the two sides of the same coin. As you put on humility, as you wake up in the morning and you wear humility, you will also be saying, God, as I put on humility, I'm taking off self-dependence. I'm taking off self-reliance. I'm casting my burdens and anxieties upon you. Uh, to say this the opposite way, those that put on pride, those that clothe themselves in pride, they will be self-dependent. They will see within themselves a sufficiency of their resources to deal with whatever comes their way. Those that are prideful don't ask for help and they receive none. Brother and sister, don't be prideful. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the same God that rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. Clothe yourself in humility and cast your anxieties upon him. And don't miss this. This is the most encouraging part of this entire chapter for me. The why that we're given. The why, why do we cast our anxieties upon him? Look at those uh, final five words in verse seven. Verse seven, the reason Peter gives us, because he cares for you. Wow. Brother and sister, do you believe that? Have you considered recently that God cares for you? The God of the universe, the one without end, the one that holds the universe together, the God who raises kingdoms and lowers kingdoms, the one who is the center of all time, the center of all space and history, that eternal, magnificent, almighty God cares for you. And because of that, we cry out to him. We cast our worries upon him. We lay our burdens at his feet. Christian, this morning, what do you need to give to Jesus? Like seriously, everyone here, what anxiety or burden, worry do you need to give to the Lord right now? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He knows all of your needs. And even better than that, he cares for you.
The second pairing we see is verse eight. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as we think about the household of God, the members of the church, Peter says, be sober-minded. He says, don't be drunk. And he's not talking about alcohol primarily here. But don't be, don't be drunk with pride in the way that the world thinks. He's saying, be awake, be alert, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, is like a lion looking for the spiritual drunk, those not filled with the spirit, but those that are filled with the world, those who are spiritually sleeping. As Peter wrote this, uh, I just wonder, he, he likely thought back to that fateful night that he was sleeping in the Garden of Geth- Gethsemane. Jesus had warned him. He, Jesus said, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Jesus told him earlier that night, there's a prowling lion. The devil has asked to sift you, Peter. The devil has asked to sift you. But Peter, he did not heed that warning. And in the garden, instead of pray, he slept. And when he woke, he was not sober-minded, but he was drunk with the mind of this world. And he used violence as he lashed out against a guard. He ran and hid. And maybe following from a distance back, he then denied knowing his Lord to a slave girl, even despite having promised just hours earlier that he would die for Jesus. Brother and sister in Christ, humble yourself and be filled with the Spirit. Be ready, watchful, sober-minded, Why? Because the devil is prowling around looking for those sleeping, looking for someone to devour. So stay awake and pray. Our third pairing, verse 9, says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist the devil. And how do you do that? We said already, staying awake, being filled with the Spirit, prayer, Verse 9 says it in another way, standing firm in the faith. And the reason why is because the same kinds of sufferings is being experienced by Christians throughout the world. In other words, you're not alone in this battle. You're not the only one suffering. Friend, don't believe the lie that you're the only one that struggles with that particular sin that you seem to always succumb to. Don't believe the lie that no one understands the pain of having an unbelieving spouse. Don't believe the lie that no one can faithfully follow God with the medical condition that you have. Don't believe the lie that no one understands what it's like to experience the suffering that you're gonna face this upcoming week at work, in your home, through that particular relationship. Don't believe the lies of the devil that you're alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one suffering Resist the devil, stand firm in the faith, and know you're not alone. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood and sisterhood throughout the world. And after a little while, verse 10 and verse 11, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
if you remember what we said earlier about the pastors and the shepherds, they're called to lead the church, do those commands with two things in mind. We said that they are to do so in the company of pastors, in light of Peter, in light of Jesus. They're not doing it alone. And they're also doing it as they look to the future glory that is to be revealed. Now similarly, for all of us members of the church, the rest of the house of God, we are to continue on even in suffering, maybe particularly in suffering, for almost the exact same reasons as the pastors. Verse nine, the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. As the pastors are a part of a fraternity of brothers that lead, that suffer, we too are part of a a brotherhood of suffering. And as the pastor looks to his future glory and crown he receives, look at verse 10 for all of us. I love the way he puts it, after you've suffered a little while, meaning your whole life, (laughs) after you've suffered a little while, you too can look toward eternal glory. Light in the desert, as you've listened in on this, hear that the members of the church are to humble themselves and stand firm in the face of suffering with the hope of eternal glory in mind. And what will eternal glory be like? What will eternal glory be like? Look at verse 10. The God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself. That is, when I was studying this passage, that just stood out to me. God himself, God will do it. Like, we're not getting an assistant. (laughs) It's not an angel. God himself. We get God, the one who saved us. And what will he do? He will restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I couldn't help but just think of Peter's life as preparing for this. Remember who is writing this. Yes, the inspired God himself, the Holy Spirit, but Peter the denier wrote this. But it wasn't just Peter the denier. It was Peter the one restored. Peter the one confirmed. Peter, the one strengthened. Peter, the established one. By God of all grace. Aren't we all Peters that have messed up? Chosen paths besides following Jesus? Verse 10 reminds us that our God is a God of second chances. He is the God of grace. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Who is like our God? There is no one like our God. Verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. The glory and dominion of Egypt ended. The glory and dominion of Babylon, another world power, ended. The glory and dominion of Rome ended. The dominion of every government and human structure will come to an end. The superpower and dominion of America will end but Jesus Christ's dominion will never end. And if you're a Christian here today, if you have trusted in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, then the king of that dominion, he himself will welcome you in and he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And the suffering in in these earthly dominions, they will seem momentary and light. 
As verse 10 says, this suffering is only for a little while. Light in the desert, brother and sister in Christ, we're almost home. As we turn and look at uh, the conclusion of this book, um, I feel like there's a whole sermon that can be uh, preached and talked about. It's so cool, um, but I'll just hit a few high parts. See, sometimes when we come to the end of the book, um, there's this, these weird greetings. Someone has mentioned, I used to think this is just like cultural stuff, irrelevant to me. I just read through it super fast, who, clear, who cares, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, but pastors like Brian have helped me see the richness Every word matters. Nothing in the Bible is wasted. So as we look at the, let's look at these final three verses. Verse 12, um, just a, a thing to note, Silas, or Silvanus, also um, referred to as Silas in the New Testament. He did not write this book, although maybe at first glance it seems that way. But verse 12 is just merely saying that he was the, the messenger, and that we see that very common in Silas's life as a messenger and a bringer of a letter, a bringer of a message. Uh, but a bigger question I had as we came to the end of this, stuff that I would typically just breeze past and skip over, is verse 13. Do you see that? She who is at Babylon. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> what is going on here? Did Babylon exist at this time? No. Babylon almost Babylon was gone hundreds and thousands of years earlier. Babylon here, in that context, represented the world power. And now in this context where, where Paul is, or Peter is writing, Babylon is representing Rome. And who is she? She who is at Babylon? She, and then if you keep looking at it, likewise, she who is chosen sends you greetings. As we think about the New Testament letters, who are the people who often send greetings to other uh, churches? They're the believers. They're the churches. See, the she who is at Babylon almost surely represents the church that is in Rome, which makes sense because that's where Peter is right now, in Rome, when he's writing this letter to this dispersion to uh, modern-day Turkey today. Remember how 1 Peter started, how it began. If you flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, who was this letter written to? This letter was written to the elect exiles. And now at the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 13, what do we have? The church in Rome, elect exiles. This book is written to elect exiles, and the book is from elect exiles, the church in Rome. Like God's people were exiles in Babylon. Now God's church is exiles in Rome. First Peter is a book written to the elect, chosen Christians who are in dire suffering situations. And it is also written from elect, chosen Christians who are in dire suffering situations. Pastors, you are not alone in your shepherding. You are a partaker with Peter and the rest of the brotherhood. Christian, you are not alone in your suffering. Millions of other believers suffer like you. And light in the desert, you are not the only church in, an, in exile. Thousands of churches this morning continue to worship the Lord in this fallen world. You are not alone. The last person who's just mentioned here is, is Mark. 
Mark, like Peter, um, someone who, who's failed, someone who uh, in his life abandoned uh, Paul on a missionary journey. <laughs> and now at the end of this letter, Peter says, and, and you remember Mark. Mark is here and greets you. Our God is a God of second chances, a God of grace. You'll note at the end of this letter, it ends with the words grace and peace. And that's also what the, where First Peter began, is with grace and with peace. See, the whole letter, the whole book of First Peter is about suffering. But in the midst of suffering, the, Christ, the Christian can have grace and peace. If you're not a believer, if you're not someone who says, I follow and trust in Jesus Christ, one thing that is true of your life, like all of ours, is you have suffered, and you, as long as you live, will continue to experience kinds of suffering. But you can do so with grace and peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would consider that and talk to people here, talk to the pastors here, talk to the person who invited you. And light in the desert, hear the message of First Peter this, this letter, this book tells us there's grace and peace for the suffering Christians. You're not alone. We're almost home. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for just the privilege it is to study and to preach your word. God, we thank you for the grace and the peace that we see here in 1 Peter 5 and in the whole book we thank you for the peace and the grace that we see in Jesus Christ's life and how he extends that to us despite our sin. God, I pray that uh, today people would give you the anxieties and burdens, not just because you can handle it, but because you care about us. God, thank you so much for light in the desert and the ways that they've cared for me and be an extension of your love toward my family and toward the ministry at ASU. We give you praise and your dominion and glory will never end. We are so excited to be with you face to face. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.